welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Uh, I want to let you know that I'm going to be preaching a sermon on Culture Clash and I do want to say that if you have children in the room or you, if you're watching online, I just want to give a disclaimer that uh, we're going to be talking about some things, vandalism, threats, uh, human sexuality, gender, etc. And so I do want to just give you that up front so somebody says, I didn't know that, or if you're at home, uh, you use your discretion as a parent. I do want to let you know that uh, your kids probably know a lot more than you realize and are a lot more involved. Things are going younger and younger and younger, but I do want to tell you that. And I do want to say to the church, stay with me, stay with me. I think that some people might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I would just say, stay with me and uh, let's get through this one here. Um, I just felt this so strong a couple weeks ago that God was calling us to speak out on some things that are going on and to look at the Bible. So we are in a, a huge culture clash and we will continue to be, I believe that in America as we proceed forward, it's just inevitable. It's what's happening all around us. But I'm so glad that God uh, told us, that Jesus told us, he said, hey, um, you're gonna have these culture clashes. You're gonna have these things. I've called you to be salt and light. And if you don't know it, salt is a preservative and light exposes darkness. It also shows the way, but you could see that there is a, a clash in there. Um, he also said in Matthew 10, 16, he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And so he's saying, I'm sending you out. There's going to be moments that you're going to feel like sheep amongst the wolves, and I need you to be smart, and I also need you to be kind, and you got to blend this together. Uh, we're also encouraged in 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter tells us, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we have to be willing to say what we believe, why we believe it, why do we live differently? But we wanna do it with gentleness and respect. If I could say that, I, I'm embarrassed by so much of what I see um, with people that are just angry and they've just reduced this to slogans or hate or things like that. There's no place for that in our answers. Um, when you look at the expansion of the church throughout the book of Acts, you see culture clashes. It's there over and over again. Matter of fact, throughout the whole Bible, culture clashes. Some of the greatest stories in the Bible are like culture clash moments. I mean, you think about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, culture clash moment. Great story. Daniel in the lion's den, great story. Culture clash. And that bravery that's there where they're able to stand up in the midst of the culture and say, that's not what we're doing. Matter of fact, it reminds me, I did the sermon during COVID way back at the beginning. A couple years ago, I did a sermon on what chapter of Daniel are we living in? And it'd be good even just to remind you, those that maybe missed it or have forgotten it already, um, we were talking about how things are coming back to normal so fast. And um, in, that, in that sermon, I talked about in Daniel chapter one, he's like, hey, why don't we just see if, if God's way is better and you know, we'll you eat the food and they can eat the other food. Is that good? Let's give it a try. It was like, Daniel chapter one's like, let's give it a try. You know? And then Daniel chapter three is, you have to submit to the music we play and the things we believe or we're throwing you in the furnace, all right? And then you fast forward to Daniel chapter six, it's like, okay, 
We're gonna change the law to make what you believe wrong and we're gonna throw you in the lion's den, okay? And I really believe that we're living right now in Daniel chapter three, chapter six, like we had a blend of that with cancel culture and people are vilifying people that have had religious beliefs for thousands of years, we've held these beliefs and all of a sudden it's like cancel, you're out, you're gone, step off the board, you're gone. Matter of fact, in this legislature session in Minnesota, and apologies to our online, I know you're spread all around the world. You have people in Alaska, South Africa, Germany, Australia. And we have people all around the world. We have a group of people watching in Haiti. And uh, can we just welcome everybody that's watching around the world there? Yeah, we're thrilled. But in this legislative session in Minnesota, representatives shared that those that hold traditional religion view, religious views are more likely to be feared as terrorists. And he pointed across the aisle, this, just this Minnesota session, they look more like the terrorists now, talking about traditional Christians that are holding on to values. It's calling good evil and, e and, and evil good, just like the Bible says. As recent as Friday night, just this past Friday night, in Minneapolis, New Life First Care Center in the Phillips community was vandalized. They offer a pro-life, um, alternative to Planned Parenthood. They're just there in the community and they're there being a loving witness. In, in the last year, they've given out over 100,000 diapers, helped over 2,000 women. They give away car seats, clothes, strollers, nothing threatening, but they were vandalized this Friday. And it said, if abortion's not safe in America, you're not safe, was painted over their building in our city. In vandalized, the window's broken. I mean, I, I look at this and I just think, what in the world is going on? And, and now um, we, we have these pro-life centers that are there and some of the political leaders like Elizabeth Warren has said, we must stop those places. Why do you wanna stop them? It's our dime, we're paying for it. And some people say, like, Christians do more. Christ All this that we're doing with these pregnancy centers around the world, there's you know, thousands of them in America it's on our dime, we're raising the money. We're not asking for anything from the government. And so just as a side note, I just wanna say this, um, for that crisis pregnancy center, we are uh, sorry that you were vandalized, your windows were broken, and even that terror that was put at you. And so from Kingdom Builders, we're gonna send you a check for $10,000. We're standing with you. You're not alone. Keep doing the good you're doing. I mean, they say, come on, church, do more. We're doing more. We're raising money. We're doing these crisis pregnancy centers. We're doing all these things. We're adopting kids. We're doing foster care. We're, we're doing these things and we're out there. And what's interesting is the government wants taxpayers to pay for abortion. So we're doing all the pro-life on our end. We're paying all the money. And they're like, we're gonna take that. Matter of fact, and, I, and I, I'm gonna say this, and then I'm gonna stop for a moment, all right? So stay with me, stay with me, okay? President Biden falsely claimed that not all bishops in America and the Pope is not against tax dollars for abortion. And then they came back, the, the Vatican, and others like, nope, nope, that is not true. But he did say that. It is on camera. And I want to stop there. Um, I just want to say, like people say, this sure sounds Republican or it sure sounds this, this culture clash. If you don't know this about me, when I went to vote for the very first time as a young man, 18 years old, finally got to vote. I was so excited. They said, are you a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent? And I said, Independent. I am an Independent. I didn't know it was a party, all right? I didn't know that. And I just said, I am Independent. Nobody owns my vote, all right? I am Independent. I'm a free thinker. 
And um, I, I'll share this with you because I want you to understand, I'm talking about culture and Bible, and although my values are conservative, I want you to know that I, I live this out. Becca and I were invited to the White House when President Trump received the nomination for the second time for the Republican Party. They said, we have heard that you're an influential pastor in Minnesota. We would like to invite you to the White House, the greatest fireworks display ever known, blah, blah, blah. We'd like to have you there. And I said, I respectfully decline. I said, I don't believe this will help me pastor the church that I lead. And I said, if you want me to pray with him, if you want me to counsel him on issues, I will gladly show up for any president, but I won't be there for something that's so partisan, all right? So I'm practicing what I preach, and, and, and I want you to know that. And I don't know how this became so political uh, that all of a sudden one party just keeps aligning with everything that is our culture clash. And I'm praying for revival in this. And I want you to know I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I really am an independent, not the party, but just as an individual. And here's how I do. When I look at to vote, I just look for what party is behind me. People say, what party are you for? No, it's not about that. Which one's behind me? I am on mission for God, and I'm just looking for who will give me a push to keep freedom of religion, to help the sanctity of life, to have traditional biblical marriage. I'm just looking for who will give me a push. Um, some, it feels like sometimes the party is tackling me, and I just am praying, God, will they just leave me alone or give me a push, and then I vote accordingly. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm just wanting you to know that this is what is going on in our society today, and there's a culture clash, and it's like politicians have just jumped into this, and it's all they're talking about. Notice this sermon and, and this presentation and sermon. Somebody says, a sermon. yeah, there are scriptures. There's a lot more coming. Um, I'm not talking about banning plastic bottles, which is on the agenda. I'm not talking about banning gas mowers and weed trimmers. I'm, that's on the agenda. I'm not talking about what to do with the $17 billion surplus. That's, on, that's politics. Okay, I'm talking about what's in our area here, all right? But culture clashes all throughout the Bible. The Hebrew midwives, I thank God that in their culture clash, they had the boldness to, to go against Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to the Hebrew midwives, when the baby boys are born, you kill them. And they feared God, it said. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. And at the risk of their own life, they don't kill the baby boys that are being born. Now, it's interesting, they actually lie about it. And I'm not endorsing lying, but they're like, well, the Hebrew women, they just have their babies so quick, we can't get there in time. All right, yeah, I don't know. God used their lie. Esther, I'm so glad that when a whole people group was gonna be extinguished, the culture clashed there, that she didn't listen to like, hey, let's just not be involved in you know, politics, don't talk to the king. No, she said, if it costs me my life, there's a culture clash going on and I'm standing. If I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. I'm grateful for Daniel that the first time he did it politely and the second time he said, here, here I am, come and get me. As he throws open his windows and says, I'm praying the same way I prayed every day I've ever prayed, hands up, windows open. These are culture clashes that are there. Nathan, the prophet, I'm so glad in the culture clash when the king committed adultery, Nathan didn't go, God, you know, he's the king. I'm glad that Nathan walked into the presence of King David and said, you are the man. You are the one doing this. And he had the boldness to confront the culture. I'm grateful that John the Baptist said, Herod, what you're doing is wrong, even though it cost him his life. I'm grateful that Jesus 
challenged culture, although mostly Jewish culture. He challenged the things that were wrong and said, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. I'm glad that he called Herod that fox, a derogatory term, letting him know you are not, you gotta know who you're dealing with. I'm glad that the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 caused such an uproar in Ephesus that the culture said, that Demetrius said, guys, guys, we are making a lot of money from this sex goddess in town, Artemis, that everybody worships. We got a good gig going here. This Paul guy, he's turning up society. We gotta come against him. We gotta stop this guy. I'm glad that Paul stayed true, even when the Bible tells us in Acts 19 that the city clerk got up there like a smart guy and said, it's a known fact. The whole world knows that Artemis has descended from heaven. Everybody knows it. Every scientist and every doctor agrees with our assessment. And Paul stood firm and said, no, it's not true. I'll clash with this culture. I'm glad that people did this over and over. I'm glad that the early church was countercultural. They were so countercultural that a Roman historian, Suetonius, he called Christians, get this, they were so countercultural. He said, Christians are a separate genus, a different species of human because they live differently but they also walk among the people to enlarge God's kingdom. It just shocked them that they could live so different morally in the culture that was so immoral and yet still want to mingle with people to advance the cause of Christ. He's like, that's not normal. That's not normal human being. Who are these people? Everywhere the disciples went, there was like uproar and there were culture clashes because they're bringing God to a place that didn't know the truth. I just got back from the trip through the seven churches of Revelation going through Turkey and I was overwhelmed each spot that we went with the temples that were there to the pagan gods and as they talked about the sexual deviancy that was going on and I'm thinking about the disciples going around and they're not building big temples. They're literally saying, the temple of God, wants, he wants to be in you and he wants to change you and you're not gonna live that way anymore. When we did our soap sprint and we read through the Bible, the New Testament in January, weren't you overwhelmed at how many times it talked about live pure, live pure, be different, stand out. God has called you out of that and into this. There's a culture clash going on and we can't run away from it. They were not isolated, they stayed on mission. Pastor and author Tim Keller coined this term about the early church. He said, they lived in animosity and attraction at the same time. There was an animosity there. They, the people hated their holiness, but were attracted to their loveliness. Isn't that interesting? The early church lived that way. It's like they hated their holiness. Like, like, you guys are so different. You're telling us not to commit adultery. Do that. But we love your loveliness. And we're living in that culture clash even now. From that, the early church stopped child abandonment. They didn't, let the, they didn't go to the violent gladiator games. Again, going back to touring around Ephesus and Corinth and all these different cities that we went to. We're sitting there and, and I'm realizing like the Colosseum is there and the theater is there and the pagan temple is there and there's their village. It was like you either jump in on the entertainment with everybody else or you are over here by yourself at night. And they're like, we're not going to be a part of your drunkenness. 
We're not going to be a part of your sexual immorality. We're gonna live counter-cultural. What boldness they had, incredible boldness. This, they said, we won't serve in the Roman military. We're against abortion and infanticide. They empowered women. They were against sex outside of marriage. They radically served the poor. They were multi-ethnic when people were so uh, racist. They declared that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. And let me stop for a moment here. Romans 10, 9 and 10. We even put it on the screen. Matter of fact, put it on the screen there. Go to the wide shot. All right, we put this on the screen. When, you, when we give people a chance and an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, that's a beautiful thing for salvation, but you understand in Romans chapter 10, when, when this is being written, Caesar said, I'm Lord, I'm God. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you literally have to say, Caesar is not Lord Jesus is Lord. It wasn't like a, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray. Yeah, it was like, this has consequences. This comes with a deep conviction and may lead to my demise. But I believe Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. What boldness, what boldness they had. They, they lived inclusive to reach people and exclusive to be different. Just like Jesus said, shrewd like snakes, but harmless like doves. And I believe this, that we're not supposed to isolate completely, and we're also not supposed to assimilate. We're supposed to be doing that, trying to make a difference. We're trying to live different while we're in the world. I'll use an example, an illustration from a flower. I've, I've never seen this um, until now, but uh, the term is called nicktonasty, nicktonasty, okay? It's what flowers do. I actually think that's a good name for a wrestler, nicktonasty, you know, I think it's a good name, but um, nicktonasty is what a plant does. And so a lily will do this in different plants. What happens is during the daytime, they open up and they share their pollen because it's daytime. But then when it's nighttime, they close down when it's dark and they close down to keep the pollen safe. And I think that's a beautiful picture of how we should live in this world, that we wanna open up and bring the light of Jesus. But if there's something that is encroaching too hard on us, you might have to pull back a little bit. Some will be called to stand on the edge of darkness and others will need to pull people back into the house to get away from the evil. I'll give a couple examples. You may work at a company where you say, I'm able to share the light there. I'm able, to, the darkness doesn't encroach on me. It doesn't pull me back. But I will say this, if you're gonna be in a witness at your work and you go out with everyone afterwards and you're getting drunk with them, you're, you're, the, the darkness is capturing you. You may have to pull away from that job and say, I need to pull away because I wanna share my light, but the darkness is so strong, it's stealing the pollen. It's stealing the very life of me that I want in Jesus, and it's causing me to lose my witness. So you may need to pull back and take another job. When it comes to educating your children, it's beautiful that you could say, and for years when I was a youth pastor, I said, open up the plant, share the pollen with the public school, do this, do this. But there may be a situation, maybe a situation in the district that you're in where it's, it's a darkness that is pervading. And you say, I just can't, I just can't. I just, we've gotta pull back 
and protect the pollen in this situation, and then we'll share them over here. You have to practice this. It's a beautiful thing to be out and back and out and back, sharing the pollen, but protecting the pollen. Now in our time, right now, the issue that is facing us, and specifically in Minnesota, and again, apologies to our online group, but in our time, currently now, the clash is sexuality and gender. Um, if you don't believe that it's the current clash, just think about this. Even Disney jumped into this. I mean, Disney could have just said, hey, we just, we're just about a mouse and just, we just leave us alone. Like, we got nothing. And they jump it right in. We got something to say on this. So everybody's saying something about it. And yet the church is standing around like, well, I don't know if we're gonna say anything, you know, all right. Because again, we're like, we wanna, we wanna have that attraction and we don't want the animosity, and we, we, you know, we know that they'll be repelled by the holiness, but we want them to be attracted to the loveliness, and so we, we're kind of like, I don't know if I want to say anything, but there comes a point that you just have to say something. So there comes a point that you just got to say, like, I feel like almost now, it's almost like in those weddings, speak now or forever hold your peace. It's kind of like, if you miss this one, which, by the way, Francis Schaeffer said we missed it years ago. He said, when the church didn't fight harder for abortion, we missed it. The gate was opened up. But even there's another gate. It's like, if this is the gate after the gate after the gate, okay? Specifically, there's a culture clash in Minnesota with minors. And I would say this, that I would wish that Minnesota would be like the many, many states that are banning all surgeries for transgender and all chemicals and all this for minors, saying, wait, wait, wait. Drugs and surgery are not the answer. Because did you know that according to studies, 61 to 88% of the people that have gender dysphoria grow through it after puberty. If we know that fact, why are we so adamant to, to surgically change them and chemically change them when we know that fact? Why are we doing that? Let's wait. We have age limits to drive, we say 16. We have an age limit to vote, 18. We have an age limit to drink, 21. But a child that thinks they are the other gender, like when I was a kid, I thought it was a fire truck. You know what I mean? I didn't know. I wanted to marry my teacher. You know, I, he's like, you're just like, you know, you don't know what you're thinking. And, and yet we're gonna have that eight-year-old. All right, we're gonna go and we're gonna bring him in or surgery and not, no. No, no. Recently, Jamie Reed from Missouri, herself claiming to be queer and married to a trans man, blew the whistle on the lack of protocols and treatment for minors. This is just terrible. I'm, and I know, like, Minnesota has no intention of, of making it illegal for minors, but Minnesota with HF-146 is actually saying that they want us to be a refuge state. What does that mean? That means if a parent disagrees with another parent, they can take the child and bring them to Minnesota against the other parent's wishes for the transitioning. And this means then that that child can be transitioned against the other parent's will, that the Minnesota, that state of Minnesota will then take custody and make the ruling in the decision, even though they're not from our state. I mean, this is just shocking to me to think about this. And section five will create a right to gender-affirming care, which will certainly influence the, the judicial findings in the future. I mean, this is something that I'm saying, stop, stop, stop. Now you may say, what about adults and, and, and transgender? First of all, let me address the fact that in America, we live in a free society. This is the country we get with the good and the bad. 
And America has said, because of our freedoms, they're like, you're free to worship. You're free to do this. You're free to do that. And we try to make judgments on how it won't harm other people. And that's gone very loose, very loose. But I understand that we live in a country that allows us to pursue the abundant life, but it also allows others to be addicted to alcohol. It allows others to be uh, sexually just wild and to get involved with STDs. It allows people to gamble. It allows people to accelerate the destruction on their life if they desire. That's the freedom. It's so crazy. We have this incredible freedom. And you know what the rest of the world, when I travel, they're like, what is happening to you? You have the greatest freedoms ever. And it's like, you're so free that you're circling all the way back to being into bondage again. And no one's even forcing you to do it. You're doing it to yourself. So we have this freedom. So I, I don't believe that America will ever stop that. But as adults, I believe we have a responsibility to the children whose brains aren't even fully formed until they're age 25 to say, let's protect the children. Jesus said, like, protect the children. He's like, it'd be better for you if you offend one of these little ones, have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in that sea, than you offend one of these. He's like, protect the kids. Take care of the kids. Okay, so I believe this, that these same people are saying that children can be uh, chemically altered, physically altered. They're saying they could do that at that age, but they are not fighting to lower the age to buy a gun, to drink, to do, to, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's incongruent. And this bill that is in Minnesota, I'm just shocked, and I just say this to any legislator that might be watching this. What happened to Midwest values? What happened to like salt of the earth, middle, middle? We're surrounded, like every state around us, we're surrounded with like middle. But Minnesota is headlong into this. And I'm saying if there's any legislators that are watching this, reconsider, protect the children. This is not the direction we wanna go. Now, let me give this. I'm gonna give two action steps. One is civil and one is spiritual. Okay, there's a list, but if you um, would call or email your representative, your senator in the House and in the Senate, the governor, that we don't wanna be a refuge state, that we, we, we don't want this to be our state. Show up if you can when the legislation goes through. Um, no intimidation, you're just a presence. No crude sayings, no wrong chants. Do not join in those things. I'm embarrassed by those things. Pray for change of heart from our leaders. And again, I'm not picking on them. I understand, like, but I asked over and over again. I said, is there one Democrat that's voting against this? Not one. They are voting in lockstep for this. They are moving forward. And I'm appealing to the sensibilities of rural. This is the DFL. Do you know that we're the only state in America that calls the Democrat Party the Democrat Farmer Labor Party? We're the only one. What happened to the farmers? Come on, guys. What happened? Like, a rooster can't become a hen, a hen can't, come on, come on, all right, you got this. Now let me talk briefly on transgender and then get to our spiritual stuff. There's a great book that I'd recommend, Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. Preston Sprinkle. It's a book I made our whole staff read. There's a position paper that is now on our website and we've got a link for it. And it's from the Assemblies of God, which we're part of. It's a position paper on transgender. And it's a, I wanna just give you a few things. And why does this matter? Because people all say to me, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares about gender, right? Okay, it does matter. 
okay? And I won't do the whole paper, but I'll just tell you this. A biblical theology of the body necessarily involves three central doctrines. I'm not ready for the keys, sorry, sorry. You're gonna have to just, just pause. We're just, we're, we're, we're just a little, sorry, just pause. You're really good, you're really good. Just pause, all right. I was like, nope, we're not land of the plane. Don't give them any hope. Don't give them any hope right now, all right. There's a position paper with the Assemblies of God, which we're a part of, that's on our website. And if you want that, we'd gladly give it to you. But here's what it says. A biblical theology of the body necessarily involves three central doctrines. This body, male, female, three central doctrines. Number one is the creation of humanity. Number two is the incarnation of Jesus. And number three is the resurrection of the believers. These doctrines also serve as a background for understanding passages which apply more directly to behaviors related to transgenderism, okay? You see in the Bible, male and female, only genders. It originates in Genesis. It's developed throughout the entire Bible. It's endorsed by Jesus. He had an opportunity to say, guys, we're gonna blow this gender thing wide open, but he didn't. He endorses back to Genesis. And then it is defended by the Apostle Paul. Now, here's what I wanna say to our, our church and to anyone that may be transgender that is dealing with gender dysphoria. Okay, we desire as a church to protect the children, 100%. And then from anyone with gender dysphoria, we'll do the following action steps. Number one, we will address any and all bad attitudes and behaviors in the church. Ugly behavior is not Christ-like. It's not. And so we will address that. I'll never forget one time, some people were standing out, this is years ago, they were standing out in front of the church and they were smoking and they said, Pastor Rob, there are smokers out front. And I looked at them, I said, bring them an ashtray. <laughs> that, that wasn't the answer they were looking for. Okay, we are not gonna be that type of person. If you come in and you're wondering, would the church love you? Would the church at least let you listen and explore and come in, yes, we will, uh, we will not allow the bad attitudes and behavior. We will practice love and hospitality to all. All are welcome here. Now, the only caveat that we have on that is we will not allow disruption in our service. No one has ever turned away, but if anyone disrupts our service, we will have to ask them to leave. But all are welcome to be a part of our church. I wanna say this. It was an optional thing in my notes. I want to say this. We will honor, and, I, and I, I know some might be controversy, might not like this. We will honor those with gender dysphoria by calling them by the name they prefer, but not the pronouns. We will call by the name. I've called men and women, Pat, Terry, Chris, different, you see what I'm saying? I have called people nicknames, Bo, Rocky, you know, sis, all sorts of names. Names are theirs, and if that's the name they wanna be called, we'll call them. But I won't jump into the pronouns and using the pronouns that confuse that, but I will do the name, because I have seen people with names are, okay, wow, all right. So we will honor that, all right? We will practice hospitality in that way. We will preach the truth in love, utilizing a Christian high theory. What does that mean? I get this from Tim Keller. We must first expose the main flaws in our culture's narratives, showing how they fit neither human nature nor our most profound intuitions about life, let alone its own moral ideals. 
then Christian theory must point to the beauty and truth of the gospel as the fulfilling counter-narrative. We will do this. We will speak the truth in love. Number four, we will commit to discipling the whole person. We will not just focus on the simple issue that they are facing that is obvious to all, but we'll disciple the whole person. Number five, we'll have patience with people in this process. And I go back to this position paper, and I'd like to read this. Gender dysphoria is shaped over a lifetime by complex causes. Experience teaches that feelings of incongruity between one's birth sex and gender identity usually do not instantly disappear when a transgender person converts. Of course, the same is true for besetting sins, bad habits, and long-term struggles such as substance addiction. While there are genuine testimonies of instantaneous deliverance, there are rare discipleship. These are rare. Discipleship usually consists of a long obedience in the same direction as one writer described it. We will be patient. Number six, the church will minister to the transgender person to help them experience increasing integrity between their birth sex and their gender identity. An addendum on this that was done recently on the bill allows pastors to continue this. Professional counselors are now forbidden in the state of Minnesota once this is signed, a separate bill, but pastors retain this ability. And so with that, we say that we will help you and minister to you so that you will find the true congruence of your biological sex and your gender identity. We will pastor you in that. And I close with, One last thing from that position paper. True sympathy must be extended to those in pain, even if a solution that so completely prioritizes the interior over the exterior cannot be embraced. A community in which 41% of its members attempt suicide is a community in pain. And we wanna love you, we wanna tell you the truth in love, we wanna be that type of church, and we promise to try to do our very best to live up to those things. Go ahead, you can start the keys now, we're good. (laughs) Now as we move forward in America, unless there's a revival, unless there's a breakthrough, we'll have more and more culture clashes. I don't know how it's gonna move forward, but I know this, if we hold on to what we believe and are faithful to the end, God says, well done. Herod thought that he canceled John the Baptist when he took off his head. All that happened is John the Baptist left this earth where he was put in prison and he went right into the presence of God where he was celebrated in heaven. We're gonna hold on to our beliefs no matter what comes our way. And I don't know where it'll take us. I don't know if it'll be cancel culture. I don't know if you'll lose your job. I don't know if people will vilify you for even attending a church like this. But we're gonna stand up and say what we believe in. And we're gonna try to live this out to this community that is in pain and to live it out to our political leaders to say, we desire to live in a better place for children and for a place where freedom can bring the abundant life and not destroy us. So God, I pray right now that you would help us in this to live this out. I specifically just pray for anyone that might be here and they're struggling with gender dysphoria. I pray that you would speak to them even now and you would let them know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made I pray that you would let them know that you would give them strength. I pray that you would let them know that you are still a God that works miracles 
and you can change people. I pray that you would let them know that you are God that gives grace and power, that even when the apostle Paul said, this thing hurts me, I wanna take it away. Three times he prayed, but you said, I've got the grace to carry you through your thorn, through your pain. You'll make it, I'm with you. I pray that they'd feel that. And I pray God that your church would move forward, living out this holiness and living out loveliness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.